This is my mom. She's a really good doctor. Hi, I'm Dr. Lex, but I'm also mom to Isabella, Lance, and Lucia. Our mom takes care of our family, our friends, and her patients. On this podcast, our mom is going to be talking to her doctor friends and teaching you how to keep your family safe and healthy. Okay, mom. Ready for the show? Let's do it. Welcome to Family Health with Dr. Lex. On today's episode, we are speaking with Dr. Robin Tiger, who is a board-certified diagnostic radiologist on a mission to empower others with science and research-backed self-care tools. Dr. Tiger uniquely combines her 15 years of radiology experience with a certification in yoga therapy, meditation, and life coaching in her innovative courses, private coaching, and podcast. She focuses on complete physical, mental, and emotional well-being and resilience. Dr. Tiger is deeply passionate about helping others relieve stress, elevate calm, and live their best lives. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend, Dr. Robin Tiger from Asheville, North Carolina to the show as we discuss the self-care formula that everyone needs to know. Uh, okay, friends. Dr. Robin Tiger is coming to us from 200 miles to my West in the beautiful mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. She is a radiologist, a certified yoga and meditation instructor, a life coach, and a podcaster. I've been listening to you for the longest time, and I love the message that you share. Dr. Tiger, thank you so much for being here. So excited to chat. Woohoo! I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast. I've been following you too, and I am so excited and honored to be here. Dr. Tiger is well-known in the physician community for um, helping women physicians and all women recover from stress and burnout um, with your stress-free MD um, coaching services and podcast. And you are just such a warm and loving light in our field and our, in our industry, but your kind of journey came from a pretty painful and dark place. Right. And so I want to, I want to ask you to tell your story about how you recovered, but before you do that, I want to kind of just remind everyone who's listening. I want you to keep something in mind as Dr. Tiger tells her story. Um, she and I are both scientists. You don't, you don't become a physician without loving science. So we look for what is real and what is true and what is evidence-based things we can reliably reproduce. And sometimes there's, there's just so much more to health and wellness and illness and disease. And I don't want to say that modern medicine failed you, Robin, but it sounds like the traditional approach to medicine didn't really have all the answers that you needed in your wellness journey. And so I just want everyone to keep in mind that while we search for what is true and what is real and things that we can reproduce, and that's usually what we recommend, that sometimes there's so much more to our physical and emotional health and wellness than we can find on a test or an x-ray or on blood work. And so please tell us your story. How did you save your own life? And why is your self-care formula the one that everyone should know? Mm, two of my favorite questions, right? Because <laughs> I just love sharing, right? Because I want all the listeners, as I tell my story, to just sit back and think if any things I'm saying relate to how you feel or have felt or maybe feeling now. Okay. Sure so, <laughs> so just, yeah. So just like put on those glasses, the lens of, let me just see, can you relate to what I'm talking about? Maybe so, maybe not, maybe all of it. Okay. So, so, uh, without further ado, um, I, first of all, just like Dr. Lex, it's an incredible privilege to be a doctor. Let me just start by saying that it's an incredible privilege to take care of other people. And Western medicine is amazing. Okay. But sometimes there is more. Okay. And that's what I found. So my story is that I wanted to be a doctor since I was eight years old. Okay. Um, I was in third grade and my, my teacher, Mrs. Miller, rolled out this gigantic life-size skeleton, which I thought was a Halloween costume, <laughs> right? Why wouldn't I think that? Something that you hang on your window, a decoration. And I learned that that was actually inside our bodies. And fast forward, I chose the field of radiology, interestingly enough. Um, and I couldn't think anything was more fascinating than looking inside a human body and helping to figure out what was going on right? And I loved practicing radiology, and I did that for 15 years. But over the course of practicing medicine and being a mom and being a wife and being involved in my community and saying yes to everything that came my way, as many of us do, um, I noticed that I started to feel 
sick. I started to have lots of symptoms Mm -hmm. that they didn't all just happen at once. It was sort of over time, Mm -hmm. things started to happen. So things like migraine headaches with this intractable vomiting that actually made us postpone things like a Disney trip where I just, Mm -hmm. I couldn't even function, right? Vertigo that was so bad. I'd be in the market and somebody would call my name and turn my head and the whole place would spin, right? I would have tinnitus so loud that I couldn't sleep at night. That's ringing in my ears. Terrible reflux causing what we call heartburn, right? This terrible reflux were burning in my chest. And I had pain in my body, like everything hurt. Right? I felt like the Tin Man every morning from the Wizard of Oz. Like I just, I couldn't move. And my gums were bleeding. Well, couldn't figure out what that had to do with anything. And I had a very, very scary symptom where I would get these intermittent paresthesias or times where my hands and my feet would go numb and I just, I couldn't feel them. And they'd be scary. I'd be, you know, with a knife, cutting up vegetables, can't feel my hands all of a sudden. I'd be doing a breast biopsy, can't feel the biopsy gun, holding the steering wheel, can't feel the steering wheel. Yeah. Really, really scary. So my doctor brain, as you can imagine, is is saying, all right, this has to be some debilitating neurologic disease because what else can this be, right? Terrifying. And I started to have some really dark thoughts, right? Like dark thoughts. I mean, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't digesting my food. My whole body hurt. I had all these symptoms. My brain was doing crazy things. And I was, I was thinking, you know, gee, I don't even know if I want to be here anymore, mm-hmm. which, which is really scary, really scary. Because on the outside, everything looked perfect. I'm married to an amazing husband, amazing human who's a physician. And we have two great kids and this beautiful home and everything, right? It looks perfect. But I was completely imperfect, you know, inside of all of that. And, you know, Lex, I had lost two of my three physician colleagues at this point to suicide. Oh, my gosh. So I... was, you know, seeing lots of docs, taking lots of pills for all the things I described to you. Mm-hmm. I had lots of imaging studies because I'm a radiologist. Of course, all <laughs> of them were negative, right? On into the magnet, on the CAT scanner, lots of x-rays, ultrasounds, you name it. I had it. Negative, negative, negative. Was seeing a mental health care professional. It was really nice to talk to someone, but I just wasn't feeling better. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified. Like this is rock bottom now. Like I couldn't, I couldn't go any lower. I, I didn't know if I wanted to be here. And the pills weren't working. The talk therapy wasn't working. And I didn't want to end up like my colleagues. So I started to think outside the box of everything we've learned because Western medicine, which is again, amazing, was not helping me at this time, was not helping me in my life at this point, right? No meds, no therapy, no nothing. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew that if I didn't do something, I was going to end up like my colleagues. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking outside the box and this was, you know, maybe 15 years ago or so. This is a time when people didn't really talk about anything. I thought I was alone. I didn't know anybody else could even potentially feel like me. Yeah. And I started seeing things like yoga, things like meditation, other things were being discussed, whether it was in the media, whether it was, you know, in the newspaper and TV, whatever stars, famous people were talking about it. And I kept thinking that was just ridiculous. <laughs> Not what we learned. Certainly. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a gym rat and I was training for races all the time. And I thought that those people doing that stuff down there in that other room <laughs> were just super weird. <laughs> and I imagine them like with my radiology brain that they're like turning their bodies in all ways upside down, backwards and forwards. And I had lots of preconceived notions, you know, things like, again, twisty upside down stuff, spandex, 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 <laughs> lots of weird music, you know, saying weird things. You I mean, you name it. I thought it, lots of you listening might have thought the same things, but I was really scared. And I kept seeing this advertisement for a yoga 101 five week series down the road from my home. And I saw it over and over again. I think it says, they say you need to see things like six times before you actually really see it and do something about it. Yeah. And I, you know, I said, gee, you know, I wonder if I should do this, this weird thing. And I asked my neighbor who's a nurse and I said, Hey, 
you want to go check out this thing? And <laughs> she eye rolled and I eye rolled and we eye rolled at each other. And, <laughs> and when we said, sure, you know, let's do it. And if it's terrible, we'll just sneak, sneak out. No one's going to care. And I said, I'll take you out to dinner. It won't be a waste of time at all. And so that's what we did. We went, I was really nervous. I was exhausted. I had worked a really, really long day. I can't even tell you how many patients biopsies I had done, how many images I had read. I rushed home. I had to get my kids all ready and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I rushed to the studio for an evening class. And what happened next is unbelievable. Um, I participated in the class. It was really informal, lots of question and answer available, not anything like I expected. And at the end, I just had this sense of calm and clarity and focus that I, I can't even remember the last time if I ever felt like that. There was this shift as if someone just like hit the reset button, like re resetting your phone or resetting your computer. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking around like, wait, am I dreaming? No, I'm actually here. I was tired. I'm no longer tired. And I'm feeling really, really grounded and completely present and clear. And so that was the beginning of my aha moment as to maybe there's some other things that I could be doing. So I continued going to the series and then I started taking some meditation classes and started sampling lots of different types of yoga and meditation. And Lex, my symptoms started to get better. No meds, no therapy. I started to feel better. And so my doctor brain was like, okay, we got to unpack this. <laughs> like what the heck's going on? And so I started studying, you know, I looked into physiology, I looked into the medical literature, and I was blown away at all of the documented research that was right there in front of us, right in front of the medical literature. I just never saw it that documented all the benefits of what I was doing. And what it described was that it really teaches us how to regulate our nervous system, to decrease our stress response, to increase that relaxation response, to create that homeostasis, and that it was all physiology. And that the diagnosis that all the doctors missed and that I missed was that I was suffering from a very severe case of chronic stress. I didn't need medication. I didn't need imaging studies. I didn't need therapy. I just needed education that we weren't provided back in our medical training. So you're telling me that all of your symptoms, the blood work showed negative results. Nothing came up on the x-rays, none of the physical exams that any of the doctors had done could give you the answer that you came up with simply by essentially doing it backwards by treating yourself first by treating and regulating your immune system and your, and your um, nervous system by treating yourself in reverse, you came to the diagnosis after the fact, after the fact it's, it's really like causal causal therapy, right? So instead of treating a symptom, an illness, you know, the, the end result of something, it's going back to the cause and yeah. really coming to, well, why is all, where's all this coming from? Yeah. Why are my gums bleeding? Well, I had all this inflammation in my body. Yeah. You know, the reflux, the, the body pain, the muscular tension, it all makes sense now. Right. Sure. And I've since met three doctors that have had the same thing with the paresthesias in their hands. I actually led a retreat a couple of weeks ago. And one of the anesthesiologists spoke up in the middle of my talk and said, oh my gosh, every time I input information into the EHR, my pinky goes numb. <laughs> and I didn't know what was the matter with me. Yeah. I said, did it stop when you're done? She's like, oh yeah. I said, okay. <laughs> Does it happen when you're on vacation? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's hard to believe because we are, yes. we're trained not only as physicians, but as society, we're trained yeah. that we need to go through the entire workup and, and sure you should certainly, because you had yeah. some really serious and concerning symptoms that could have yeah. been a host of really bad things. Right. Uh, but we're trained at the end of it 
to have a, that we want to have a diagnosis, we want to name what we have. And we want to be able to explain all of our symptoms in a, in a nice little package and call it something. And so often, especially with women who take on a lot, who are high achieving professional women with marriages and relationships and careers and families and obligations that stress and burnout are kind of just something that we're expected to it's not a diagnosis. It's something that's just part of life. It's something that we're supposed to live with. It's hard. I imagine for people to believe that that was that stress is what was causing all of those really severe and significant life altering and debilitating symptoms. It is. It's really hard. But when you go back to the physiology of the stress response, and I know that you've had other experts and physicians on your podcast talking about this in depth, when we actually go back to the physiology we can actually make sense of every single thing I described. Yeah. It, it really is just our body's response to what our brain is telling it. Our body's reacting to an emergency that's not there in the same way that it would if there was an emergency. And over time, these are the consequences of what is going on, of how our body is reacting. And, you know, it comes out in the form of many different types of symptoms. And I've worked with so many individuals over this last decade that have many, if not all of what I described, and they were able to completely help themselves too. So, you know, sometimes we need medication, right? Sometimes we need therapy. Sometimes we need really important things that Western medicine can provide, but sometimes we need to just go back to, well, what's the cause of that? Yeah. And I think that research shows that over 80 or 90% of individuals that report to their primary care physician, and you probably can attest to this, present with symptoms that are related to stress, right? Yeah. I can't yeah. sleep. I can't digest my food. My abdomen, my belly hurts, you know, my body hurts, all these things. So when we actually go back, we can see, ah, well, what's going on in your life? Yeah. What's happening at home, right? What's interesting is that, um, and what's so beautiful about what you're describing is that uh, you and I both study lifestyle medicine, which is really how to participate in your own change, make therapeutic changes to the way you do things in your own life um, to optimize your wellness or to improve the quality of your life while you're living with a chronic disease or a chronic diagnosis. And so what's so cool about what you're saying is that if we can convince people of this, that managing our stress from the beginning, learning the techniques and approaching the lifestyle changes that we need to make to manage our stress appropriately, that not only can we control um, some symptoms, but we can also prevent you know, long-term chronic illnesses. Um, so it's kind of like we have the knowledge and, and people want to hear it. They want to learn about it, but so often people want to learn about it and are looking for the answers that lie within stress management um, after the fact, kind of as a last resort, like you did, you know, you went through all of those things. If we approached it in the opposite direction, we learn the stress management symptoms first, think about how much suffering we could prevent. Right. Like you said, lifestyle medicine, it's so much about prevention and reversal of disease. Right. And I kind of think about my situation that way. And then I reverse the disease, mm -hmm. the disease being the chronic stress response and all that it was doing. Right. It doesn't mean that we're never going to have stress in our lives. It means that we are equipped with the tools to deal with it when things come up and yeah. things are going to come up all the time. Right. Yeah. We're human. Things always going to come up on our lives, but when we are lacking the education as to what to do about it, that's when all those symptoms come, come on board and they hang out and make us not feel so good. <laughs> yeah. So. Or they can worsen, you know, with the symptoms that you have that are associated with other conditions that you might have. Yeah. Before we talk yeah. about how to change our brains to best accommodate the stress in our life, let's talk about the things that are stressful, the things that cause us to feel this way, because a lot of people think of stress as like the major stuff, you know, the death of a loved one an unexpected financial collapse, or, um, you know, a, a major career shift or move things that we think of major things, but in reality, you described a very wonderful life that should by all accounts, you know, be have minimal stress. You know, you have a great job. You love your husband. You have great kids. You have a nice house, you know, all of these things that 
you should feel comfortable with. And yet there were still some things that were creeping into your life that were, so what are some of the, the kind of common non-catastrophic, you know, the, the kind of minor everyday things that cause us to feel this way, that overwhelm our nervous systems and induce this stress response? Yeah. Like you described some pretty catastrophic things, but it can be anything from your brain saying mean things to you, right? We have over 60,000 thoughts per day and most of them aren't very nice. And so all of the, you said it, should, shoulding all over yourself, right? Shoulding all over yourself and what ifing all over yourself. You know, I should have done this. I should have said that. It should have happened this way. What if it would have done this? What if I would have said that, right? So all of the words that our brain tells us, and you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. That person's better than you. You know, they have more than you. Why aren't you as good as them? <laughs> Whatever. So simply the words that our brain tells us could cause stress and make us not feel right, right? Maybe it's as simple as our alarms didn't go off on time and now our whole day is off because we're late, we gotta get the kids doing things, we gotta get to work, the first patient's waiting, now you're late for that, I mean, whatever. Or you get stuck in a traffic jam or the person in front of you at the grocery store, you know, forgot their money <laughs> or needs to put stuff back. Or I mean, I could come up with a million things. It doesn't really matter what the thing is, it just matters how it makes you feel. Right. So whether it's a catastrophic event or whether it's something that your brain's telling you, you are still going to react the same way on the inside, which is the beauty of having tools to reverse that, because that means that you are equipped with whatever you might consider the minor thing, the words that your brain's telling you or something really catastrophic that you're hearing or experiencing, which is amazing because physiology is physiology. <laughs> yeah. But all of those things activate the stress response in mm -hmm. the same way, right. whether it's something catastrophic or whether it's something minor, like, you know, you can't find the other shoe or your keys. Right. So they all yeah. do the same thing. And your brain doesn't know the difference between something catastrophic and something minor. Mm -hmm. And yet those minor things that accumulate the negative self-talk, the low self-esteem, the low confidence, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, mm -hmm. all of the minor things that are happening and accumulating that are causing you to react in a negative way throughout the course of your day, those are all adding up. Those are constantly and chronically activating that stress response, which does what to our bodies? Oh, wow. It does so much. Okay. So we have our heart rate going up, our blood pressure goes up, our muscles get tense because it, the body is getting ready to run away from those wild animals that really aren't chasing it right? Our digestive system and our immune system shut down because those are things that we do not need when we're acutely stressed and we need to run away from that wild animal, right? So these things are all happening, right? We have hypervigilance. We're more aware. Our fear centers are turned up higher, right? So we're looking around. We're a little bit more scared. We're, we're really trying to make sure that we are protected. We might change our posture. So our shoulders come forward. Our psoas, that big muscle that connects from our hips to our diaphragm contracts, which causes us to kind of round our bodies a bit. And that causes a lot of, you know, pulling on our diaphragm, which makes it a little bit difficult to breathe. Right? thinking of breath, we're breathing up into our chest, right? Not down into our abdomen, short, shallower, quicker breaths, right? All of these things are happening, which is super important when, when we need them, right? Sugars are being mobilized. We need energy right away, right? We don't have time to go to the grocery store, start cooking something. We need energy immediately. So sugars and fats are being mobilized when we're stressed, right? So all this stuff is floating around in our body. But over time, what happens? What happens? Well, our muscles get tense and they stay stuck and that's really ouchy, right? Everything hurts. Tin man. <laughs> that's what I described, right? Immune system goes, is, is not working properly. So you get sick more easily. When do college students get sick? First day or during finals? <laughs> They're all sick at finals, right? Yeah, so the immune system tanks, digestion, you can't digest your food, ulcers, reflux, right? What else is going on? Well, high blood pressure, hypertension, heart, heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, why? Well, we've got all this sugar, the sticky blood from all this fat and sugar clogging up our arteries, right? All these things are happening. And we even have a really scary thing happening with respect to our telomeres, right? So our telomeres are those protective ends of our chromosomes that shorten as we age normally, but we prematurely shorten them with chronic stress on board, which means your longevity, how long you're going to live decreases, 
with chronic stress on board. So these are all these things that happen just because we don't know how to turn it around. <laughs> we don't know how to shut it down. We don't know how to push the reset. And but this, there is are things. this is real. This is studied. This is very real. This is proven this is down proven. to a cellular chromosomal level. Yes. Yes. I'll tell you, I took a test. <laughs> Did you take the telomere test, Dr. Lex? No, not yet. interesting. If it's going to tell you. me how much work I have to do, I don't ah, know if I want to well, know. Well, that's your human brain. Yeah. Telling you words right there now, automatically assuming that you have work to do, but I did that too. So I've been fascinated with telomeres for decades following Dr. Dean Ornish's work. And, you know, I have a lot of history in my family of lots of different types of diseases and things. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of years ago, I, I said, all right, how old are you genetically? Right. <laughs> so I didn't tell anyone. And I sent away for this test and I sent my blood into this company and I was afraid. <laughs> like you, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's it going to show? And it came back. And then I was afraid to open the, open the envelope. I'm sure. And I said to myself, you know, if it's really good, keep up all the stuff you're doing. And if it's not, it's okay. Cause you got work to do and that's okay. Right. So I finally tapped between my legs, open the envelope and at the time, I was 52 years old. I'm 56 right now. I was 52 years old. And it said that I was 36 years old genetically. So I was 16 years younger based on my telomeres, based on my chromosomal age and my chronologic age. So if you want science, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it would be interesting to see what your telomere length was prior to oh. when you made oh, yes. all those changes. Right. Because I, yes. I imagine that with all of the work that you did, um, after you were, after you kind of got into yoga and meditation, um, I imagine that all of those things helped not only reverse your symptoms, but increase the length of your, tel your telomeres, improve your quality of life and therefore your longevity. So mm -hmm. you mentioned yoga meditation, which are obviously yes. a, a tremendous part of your life. You swear by them. They saved your life essentially, but can you tell us how those things help us to regulate mm -hmm. the nervous system, how they help us to tone or reduce that chronic activate, chronically activated stress system. Yeah. So most people um, think of yoga as like this hour long class or an hour and a half or meditation, same kind of thing. So I've basically taken the science of what I learned in yoga therapy, which for those who don't know, yoga teacher is a 200-hour certification. Yoga therapist is at least 1,000 hours over a three-year period. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so once I went into teacher training, which was originally just to learn more, never thinking I teach anybody anything because we're doctors and we like to learn, I learned about the field of yoga therapy and that I would be able to dive into these concepts more deeply and help individuals with many types of illnesses, diseases, and symptoms. So- I've taken the concepts of what I understand as a physician, anatomy and physiology, and then what I learned through yoga therapy and meditation and created tools, work with the tools, and create them myself to actually teach them in a way in very short, digestible bites of information to help individuals, as you say, you know, regulate your nervous system and really turn all of that around, decrease your stress response. So the way it works is that I like to think about um, three key components or recipe. And, you know, we're doctors, we like to check boxes. So um, keeping things super organized, we can think of some certain components that we need to take care of. And one of them is our breath, right? Taking care of your breath. And so if we go back to physiology, the physiology that we learned, but we didn't actually learn how to work with, we just learned about it. We can look at our inhale breath as being a stimulating breath that's associated with our sympathetic nervous system and increasing our heart rate. And our exhale breath is our parasympathetic nervous system and decreasing our heart rate. Okay. So we never really thought about actually then taking it one step further and using what we learned in physiology. So if we know that, we know that our exhale breath, therefore, is the key to our relaxation response. That's the key to tapping into our vagus nerve, which is part of our parasympathetic nervous system. So we focus on long exhale breaths that will decrease our heart rate, decrease our blood pressure, and allow us to feel calm. So that's the first part of breath. 
But the second part is location of breath, location of breath. So when we breathe into our chest, as I said earlier, we breathe into our chest, that sympathetic nervous system, that stressful breathing, right? We breathe into our abdomen, that's parasympathetic nervous system, that's calming breathing. And that's because our vagus nerve, Latin for wanderer, is the longest nerve in our body, our cranial nerve. It goes from our brain all the way into our abdomen. When someone's sleeping, you're watching their abdomen go up and down, right? Yeah. Because they're calm. So when we direct our breath into our abdomen, we're tapping into that vagus nerve again. We're decreasing our heart rate, decreasing our blood pressure and feeling calmer, right? So the two key components of breath based on our physiology, one is long exhale, two is abdominal breathing. So that's the physiology behind breath. And there are many, many different ways you can breathe to do that, but that's the science behind breathing. The second component is your body, taking care of your body with respect to movement. There's lots of ways to take care of your body, but in terms of the yoga and the yoga therapy, somatic movement is a very different type of movement that I've studied. It's the opposite of stretching. So stretching feels so amazing, right? We all love to do it. But if I said, Dr. Lex, pull your shoulders back right now. And I'm looking at you, no one else can see you. And I see you sitting up straighter, right? Mm-hmm. And I just tell you to relax at what happens. Your shoulders come back <laughs> forward again, right? Everyone yeah. listening can try that. Pull your shoulders back. You're sitting up taller. And then when you release it, what happens? You go back to how you were sitting before. Mm-hmm. And that's because over time, our chronically tense muscles stay tense and tight. And we get stuck in certain postures, certain mm-hmm. shapes, we see a lot of tech neck, right? We, we see all these people as we walk around with their heads forward and their shoulders forward because everyone's on their phones and their computers. Even the yeah. kids look like that, right? Yeah. Stretching doesn't work. I just showed you an example of that, right? So you can do that all day long, but you're not going to increase the resting length of those chronically tense muscles in your chest, your shoulders, and your neck. When you work in the opposite way through somatics, you contract into chronically tight muscles and you slowly release them. It's also called eccentric contraction. That's also called pendiculation. So when we actually work in the opposite way, contracting into tense muscles and releasing them, and I have lots of different sequences for this, you can increase the resting length of those muscles. The second component of that is sensing what you're doing. Most of the time we're working out, we're making our grocery list. We're thinking about what we have the next day. How many patients are on the schedule? Do I have to pick up my kids? right? Doing all these bicep curls. And I am not thinking about what I'm feeling. (laughs) Multitasking. Right. Right. Nobody is right. Three sets of 15 done. Okay. So when you contract into these tight muscles and slowly release them and bring in interoception, which is that first person experience of what it feels like, you will over time, increase the resting length of these chronically tense muscles, feel more spacious in your body and get rid of the tin man syndrome I described. So that's number two. The third way is to take care of your mind. And that's in two parts. So I briefly mentioned meditation, so many different types of meditation. I'm certified in one called iRest, which was initially created for Walter Reed Army Hospital several decades ago to help our military relieve symptoms of PTSD. And it was found to be really, really helpful for chronic pain as well, because so much of the pain, Tin Man Syndrome, comes from our thoughts and what's going on, all that tension. Mm-hmm. Our Department of Defense declared this type of meditation a tier one treatment for chronic pain in 2010. That's like equivalent to taking pain pills. That's just one flavor. So meditation is one component of taking care of your mind. And the science behind that, which is so amazing as a radiologist, I wish I could show you all these really amazing MRI pictures right <laughs> now, MRI images. But research has shown that in meditators, three really amazing things happen to your brain called neuroplasticity. One is your prefrontal cortex, the CEO of your brain thickens. What does that mean? You improve your memory. You improve critical thinking and processing information. You improve your decision-making. I mean, who doesn't want all that, right? The second thing is your amygdala shrinks. That's your trauma or emotional center, right? So you're less reactive. You have less anxiety. You're in control of that stress response more so, and you have less negative thoughts. And the third thing that happens is your hippocampus gets bigger. 
right? Your hippocampus gets bigger. And that's because you have emotional regulation that now is improved. You're regulating your emotions more clearly. That's your new memory center. You're making new memories. You're improving your perspective on things and you have better self-awareness. So those are three amazing things that happen in your brain. When I studied reading a CAT scan and MRI years ago, the brain was the brain was the brain. No one talked about this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So that's one really important component of taking care of your mind, meditation in whatever flavor you choose. And the second is life coaching, right? Mm -hmm. So that was another piece that I learned. So everything I've explained to you up to this point is really about the physiology in your body. But then we've got those thoughts, those 60,000 thoughts. So learning how to work with them, learning how to manage your mind through life coaching is the second part of taking care of your mind. So that is the recipe. That's the self-care recipe. And the thing is, it's accessible to everyone. <laughs> we all have these innate superpowers. We just need to learn how to use them. That's it. <laughs> yeah. We've heard from a, a, you know, physician prescription, you need to exercise more. You need to get better rest. You need to reduce your stress. And unfortunately, people leave their doctor's office with those directives but with very little instruction as to how to do those things or why they work or why they're important. You mentioned the word neuroplasticity. I would love for you to explain to us how these techniques are not just effective while we're doing them, how they help our bodies change in the long run to alleviate symptoms, improve quality of life and longevity, lengthen those telomeres. Why are these effect, these techniques not just working while we're doing yoga, while we're breathing, while we're doing eccentric stretching, meditating, or, you know, um, experiencing, uh, thought control and modification. Well, this is all real lifestyle, Dr. Lex. So, you know, whatever tool I teach you, say I teach you a breathing tool, I'm asking you to check in with yourself all day long. Mm -hmm. and to constantly come back and regulate, right? So it's not that the 15 minutes or the five minutes or whatever it is I'm spending with you or that you're spending with yourself or the hour class, it's actually making it part of your lifestyle, right? So I'm checking in with myself all day long, mm -hmm. right? How am I feeling? Oh, okay. I need to bring myself into a, a, be a better state of calm. You know, I'm, I'm feeling stressed right now. My body's tense. I'm breathing in my chest. You know, I'm, I'm not thinking clearly. I'm banging into things, right? I'm forgetting why I went in the room, next room, whatever. So it's a lifestyle. So the reason that you are making yourself healthier is because you are constantly regulating yourself. You are constantly coming back to that homeostasis, that balanced nervous system, so that you are protecting yourself from getting sick, from having this chronic stress response on 150% of the time. Yeah. right? And you are creating new neural pathways. The default network is what is existing and that is there to keep you safe, right? So your stress response is there to keep you safe. Your brain is telling you negative things because it's trying to protect you. So as you practice these tools and you keep regulating yourself and regulating yourself, you are creating new neural pathways that will in essence become the number one pathway, the quickest pathway to what's happening with you. And for that you can feel calmer, more balanced, more in control. It doesn't work if you just do it one time, yeah, right? It's just yeah. like those bicep curls. You're not going to get really strong if you don't keep practicing them, but you become really in tune with how you're feeling and you will automatically be regulating yourself all day long. So you're essentially training your body. Your body is learning mm -hmm. while it's going through the healing process. You're training your brain to change the way it approaches things. And the word that kept coming to mind as you were speaking was awareness. You yes. Can't, you can't do any of this. If you're not aware of what you're feeling, aware mm -hmm. of what you're experiencing in your own mind and in your own body. And so that's where things, you know, in the beginning of my journey to kind of self-care and um, self-improvement, uh, everybody was suggesting journaling, write down, like write down stuff. And I mention this all the time because it's like, okay, it's another thing I have to do. It's like find time to journal. And then it's like, well, what do I write? Like, what do I, what, what do you even write about? And what you realize is that the, you go through your day, not even aware of what you're 
doing, what your body is doing physically, what your emotions, what your brain is experiencing emotionally. And so starting just with awareness, which can be, which can be learned and you can hone your awareness by writing it down by sitting and actually paying attention. What am I sensing? What am I feeling physically, emotionally, spiritually? And by writing that down so you can see it when you see things on paper or when you say them out loud, they have a name and you're, you, you start to become aware of what your body is going through. And I don't think you can do any of this if you're not aware of, of, of how you're existing. You know, if you're just blowing through your day, you know, and getting from point A to point B, accumulating all of those minor and major stressors, your body is feeling that your brain is feeling that um, you're not feeding your body with um, good energy, with good nutrition. You're just kind of going through um, and you're just a kind of force of energy that gets from your alarm in the morning until when you go to sleep at night uh, with complete lack of awareness as to how your body is functioning and getting through. When you start to become aware of that, you can really see, you can really see how much room there is for improvement and how quickly you're, you can change, how quickly you can change how you approach your self-care, how you care for yourself. I think it's amazing. It is amazing. And what you're describing sounds like surviving, but not thriving, right? So just, just getting through the day. Exactly. Right. Not even remembering if you ate or not, not even remembering if you went to the bathroom or not, or what your food tasted like if you did eat it. Right. Just yeah. having no idea, just, just getting through the day. Yeah. And, you know, we want to, we deserve to be joyful beings, right? We deserve to feel joy and to, yeah. to be, to, to, to have happiness in our lives and yeah. just being in survival mode. Yeah. I just came back from a short trip. We went away for four days to um, Florida where it was warm and sunny. And um, I was thinking while I was there, cause we didn't do much. We just kind of relaxed and, you know, we, um, we couldn't do much. We, we were, we didn't have a car when we were there. So we were kind of confined to this one little area and there wasn't a lot to do, which ended up being a blessing for all of us. But in preparation for this conversation and others, I was just thinking about how so many of us live for the end of the day, live for the end of the week, the work week, or the two weeks vacation that you get per year. And you are simply surviving. You are simply getting to the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of a project or the end of the season, you know, until you can get to the point where you can decompress and relax. And um, instead of utilizing the techniques that you're describing to help your brain and your body be relaxed all the time and create space to enjoy all of those things that you're rushing through each day, you know, maybe you're not going to enjoy every minute of your workday, but you certainly could enjoy the drive to work, or you could enjoy the conversations that you have with other moms while your kid is at dance class. You know, there are so many things that we might be missing because we are just, just surviving and attempts to get to the weekend, summer vacation, you know, whatever the and goal is that we're trying to get to. Yeah, really being able to, it's very insightful and being able to generate that vacation mode, which I call it every day. Mm. You know, why can't you feel like that every day? No, you don't have to be on a beach. That's nice, but you don't have to be on a beach. And when you're on vacation, you have that week. How many days does it take you before you actually feel relaxed and calm and you're enjoying everything? Yeah. Takes yes. a few days, right? For me, if it's a Saturday Saturday vacation, it would take me until Tuesday or maybe Wednesday, or I was actually just like, ah, oh, okay. Right. Well, just a half a week is gone, but it would take all that time to undo, right? To yeah. unwind because we're doing so much. So how do we undo and really focusing on that undoing? So if you can actually undo every day, yeah. wouldn't that be amazing? Right. Yeah. You can have vacation mode anytime you want. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of crazy because people, you know, I, um, I could, I could see where people could say, oh, well, you know, you're a physician, you, you know, you have, um, have the means to take a vacation or you have the, you know, you're able to do, um, to participate in self-care, you know, you can take the time to go to classes or retreats or workshop or to get a life coach, you know, and, um, 
how can how can a, a person who is um, how can regular people who you know non celebrities and you know people who um, have a regular income and a regular life make this a part of their regular life so that they can get the most out of everything that they have. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to feel like everyone else. And I feel it too. Like everyone else is ahead of you. Like everyone else has more than you have, um, or have, have, have more of a means to accomplish, um, self-care, you know, if people talk about self-care and I, I use this analogy all the time, people say, well, self-care is like taking a bubble bath and drinking a glass of wine and watching Netflix or, you know, doing a hobby of yours. But I love the definition of self-care as creating a life that you don't need to take, take, to take an escape from that. You don't need to take a vacation from, and everyone can do that. No matter how much money you have, no matter how, you know, no matter what kind of resources you have, everyone can learn this. Everything I describe doesn't cost anything. True. <laughs> You're just doing it yourself, right? It doesn't cost anything. Now, certainly it's amazing to go on vacations. It's amazing to go on retreats. It's amazing to do all these incredible things. But the beauty of everything I described is that you are taking care of you without any cost to yeah. you, right? Yeah. Other than, you know, not doing it is very costly because you will get sick, right? We know that yeah. not taking care of ourselves makes us sick. Most yeah. of the chronic diseases in our country are related to chronic stress, right? So the beauty is that me, I'm just the instrument by which other people learn how to take care of themselves. I mean, Maimonides said that the greatest form of giving is to teach another person how to take care of themselves. And I think that's amazing, right? So massages are amazing. I love massages, right? Mm -hmm. But I can't have someone massaging me 24 hours a day, right? It just doesn't, right? So how can you feel like you had a massage? How can you take care of yourself? So that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yeah. And since you mentioned that we love checkboxes, I just love the idea of being aware of what you're feeling, just acknowledging that you need to take care of yourself, that you need to stop putting yourself last, that you need to make time. Everyone says, I don't have time. You Mm -hmm. need to make time. And yes, in the beginning, it may seem more like a chore to learn and participate in your own wellness and your own well-being. But over time, as it becomes part of your life, it will be the critical piece that you can't live without. So developing the awareness and acknowledging that you need to make the time to take care of yourself um, is something that we talk about all the time. And lifestyle medicine, we try to teach this to our patients. And so many people just don't believe us or don't want to... um, don't want to feel like they have control. You know, I always say when people are given a diagnosis, they hand control of their disease or their condition over to the doctors. And the doctors are supposed to give them a prescription for how to get better. And in reality, um, that prescription can come entirely from within. You're entirely in control of what you eat, how you move your body, how you manage your stress what kind of sleep you get, who you, who, what kind of relationships you allow your, you, you participate in, um, how you are connected spiritually, um, what kind of friendships you, you engage in, you know, all of that is within your control and all of it directly relates to our health and wellness. And it also directly relates to our illness and disease. So it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive that, that these simple lifestyle things can have such a significant impact on how we feel, what kinds of diseases we get, how long we live, and what kind of quality of life we have. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned I don't have time. Well, I work with some of the busiest people in the world. And the beauty is that a lot of the things that I shared with you, you're doing while you're doing other things. Yeah. You're emptying the dishwasher, you're walking the dog, you're driving your car, you're walking to see the next patient. Maybe you're in the OR, maybe you're, you know, typing into a computer, maybe you're on the phone talking to your friend. A lot of the things I'm talking about, like I said, they're lifestyle changes. So you're doing them while you're doing other things. Now, certainly taking a certain amount of time to be with yourself, to meditate, to do yoga, all this kind of that, that's wonderful. But a lot of what I'm saying isn't going to take any more time out of your day. I'm just asking you and suggesting and inviting you to notice when you need to breathe a little bit differently. Yeah. Notice when you need to be a little bit mindful. Notice when you need to eat a little bit differently, right? Mm -hmm. These are things you're doing anyway. 
Right. So it doesn't take any more time out of your day and you will feel so much better. (laughs) And we just give ourselves permission to not put ourselves last. Sometimes that is all of the nudge that we need, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you got that empty cup, you've got nothing to come out of it, right? You can't pour from that empty cup at all. And that's all we want to do. We want to give of ourselves. We want others to feel happy and comfortable. Um, We want to please people. We want to, um, or I should say we need to start accepting and acknowledging that we can please ourselves too. And we can, we can improve not only our quality of life, but the longevity of our longevity, how long we live and how much we give. I, my hope is that this conversation was just kind of a glimpse into what's possible and um, information that inspires people to look for more, um, to learn more. And so Dr. Tiger, before you go, I would love for you to tell my friends where they can find more, because I know you have a tremendous amount of free resources in addition to your coaching services and podcasts. So let us know where we can find you so we can continue to learn uh, from everything you have to share. Yeah, I'd love to share that. So my website is stressfreemd.net. And that's really the umbrella under which all those things that you described live. I have my podcast, the Stress Free MD podcast, that is free. And I teach 15 or minute-ish tips for relieving your stress. Um, And the uh, three free videos are on my website. So as soon as you go to the website, it'll come across. You can get three free, very short, five-minute-ish stress-relieving videos to give you a sampling of what I shared with you. Uh, Certainly, if you want to hop on a call, I'm happy to talk with you. I have a free call on my website, and I do have programs for healthcare professionals. I have CME-accredited programs. I also have programs for non-healthcare professionals on there as well and private coaching. So lots of things to choose from, and I hope that you find whatever I just described helpful (laughs) and that you start your journey to becoming (laughs) stress-free. I'm so, uh, I'm sorry that your journey was a painful one, but I'm so grateful that you went through it because ultimately in the end, um, the, the wisdom and the secrets and the, uh, the knowledge and experience that you share is, is, is helping so many people. And so I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to get to know you even more and to have you back on the show in the future. Thank you so much, Dr. Tiger, for being who you are and for doing all that you do. Oh, thank you. Right back at you, Dr. Lex. It's been an honor. (laughs) Let's talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast, Family Health with Dr. Lex. If you love the music like I do, you can find more at therealmichaelvm.com forward slash music. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a review, subscribe, and share with your friends. You can ask questions, suggest topics for future podcast interviews, and find more health and wellness information on my website, drlexlifestylemedicine.com. See you next time. Bye.